swing on a star, carry moonbeams home in a jar, and be better off than you are. Or would you rather be a pig? Hello, and welcome to uh, this podcast, which as of right now is unnamed, um, but I'm assuming that if you're listening to it, you clicked on a name, which means eventually I came up with one. Uh, so good job, me, in the future. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for clicking on said name uh, and listening to this podcast. So my name's Mike Friday. Uh, what am I? I? That is a question that I guess we all ask. At some point, I am, uh, I'm a comedian, I'm an improviser, a writer, uh, and an aspiring director, um, and I'm here just sort of talking to other filmmakers and comedians um, about films. So the, the general idea of the podcast is that we want to talk about a film that you would love to see that you don't think could ever get made. Uh, in this episode, I'm talking to Ruth Lawrence, so we never really get around to talking about that movie that can't be made because as you'll find out with Ruth when you give her a project there's really nothing that can't be made she can make anything she's amazing uh she is a she's a producer she's an actor she's a director in film and theater uh check out ruthlawrence.com you can see white rooster productions um you can see more sort of stuff that they're working on there uh me and Ruth I guess met in the film community but only sort of extraneously. We, we only worked together on one project that I can think of right now, which was like a Christmas-themed murder mystery play that we did for a corporate Christmas party in uh, a hotel in Clarenville. I think that's the only project we've actually worked on together until now. So I'm super excited that we got her on the show. Um, throughout this episode, this is, this is the first one that we recorded, um, so there's going to be probably some pauses. I don't know how good we're going to be able to edit it. It might, you may not even notice, and I may not have even had to say this, but we did, we did take a couple of breaks and through editing magic, uh, you may not even notice them. Hopefully you won't. Um, I'm here with my producer, Tim. Hey, there he is. Um, so thank you to him for, uh, doing the hard work and I just sort of sit here and, and talk. Uh, this, this episode, because it, it's uh, it, it is a difficult question to ask. It's just kind of a loose conversation. So we we had an awesome time, and I really think the the stuff that we talked about uh, is very interesting to me. So I hope it's interesting to you too. Uh, we do talk a lot, or not a lot, but we do talk a bit about the book Story by Robert McKee, um, which if you're not a screenwriter or a masochist, you probably haven't read. Um, it's uh, it's basically like a screenwriting bible. Uh, which sort of breaks down the structure of, of screenplays. Uh, and apparently neither of us have a very high opinion of the book. Um, so I'm sorry, Robert, if you're listening to this, uh, but we kind of, we tear it apart a little bit. So I think that's all the, the intro that you guys need. Um, thanks again for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Jumped up slippery fish. Yeah. Yeah. In the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. That's yeah. good to know. So it's uh, it's yeah, it's a it's a great little great little mic. M one. M one. Yeah, I've never heard of it. No. I I just sort of did some research and they were like get a cardioid mic, so I found one. <laughs> That's cool. what it is. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. All right. All right. So 
I, I mean, what we were just doing is basically <laughs> exactly what this whole that's thing what is going to be. Yeah. I've watched Ricky Gervais and the Stephen Reichon's radio show, so yes, I know. right, exactly. Yeah, well, that's the caliber we're aiming for as well. So that's, no pressure, but we do want. No this pressure. Thing. This is where we're going. Okay, yeah. no problem. It should be that smart. It should be that smart. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Very important. It should last through the ages. Uh, <laughs> uh, good, because I I have to admit I um I try to do as much homework as possible, but I was like I I, don't, I just can't think what movie could not possibly be made today. Right. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, we'll just. We'll riff. How yeah, about that? we'll we'll figure yeah. it out. And you have the you have the book there, so we can flip through that. If, I do. Uh... Have you seen? Are you familiar with this book? <laughs> I've read that book. Um, the Did book you... that we're talking about is Story by Robert McKee. And when you read this book. Did you want to make a film after you finished the book? Uh, no, I wanted to quit entirely. Yeah. So did I. Yeah. In fact, my dear friend, my beloved friend Sherry White gave me this because she'd done a Robert McKee um, story workshop. And she loved it. And I thought, okay, the workshop had to be more inspiring. Because I found, as I was reading it, and maybe this happened to you too, like I was really inspired by a lot of the chapters I read. And I was like, oh, I want to do this now. And I was like, no, I should finish the book. I should finish the book. Yeah. But then by the time I got to the end, I went, I never want to make a film. And yeah. in fact, I was writing one at the time, and, it, and I stopped writing on it for two years. Oh, really? After I read that because book. Because of the book. Because of that book. Um, so can I ask you then, like, what what made you feel like you wanted to quit after? Because I'm just curious to compare my response to yours. I mean, I, I read it, and I'm sorry if Robert McKee is listening right now. <laughs> but I me too it read I, I find it reads like a math textbook kind of so there's like there's diagrams all yes. through it and he's like this is the setup and this is how you have to go through and and it, it read exactly like a textbook and I felt like I was going back to school yeah full of formula yeah and there's nothing wrong with formula in fact I think structure is an absolute like y nobody watches anything good that does not have some excellent structure right. I think like I know that you know, some people would go, no, no, no. But I, I think what they mean is that the structure doesn't always have to be the same. Right. But it does have a structure. Yeah. Like, Quentin Tarantino has structure. It's not a usual structure. We don't see it every day. But he does have structure. Very structured. Yes, yeah. So. He's like, act one, blood. Act two, more blood. Exa yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, I think, like, people think of structure as meaning the same thing as formula. And I, I don't think they are, they are at all. And this one made me, like, I think at some point in there he says, this is the way to make a Hollywood movie. And I went, oh, well, I guess I don't live in Hollywood, so that's good. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that was what made me kind of, not that I hated the book. I actually thought I got some amazing lessons out of it. And I think years later when I went back to writing, I feel like this book probably informed a lot of the writing right but it did not inspire me to write a movie like no. when i was when i was done like you i was like yeah <laughs> i think i've had enough of that I, I think i i think i'll find some other thing to do do you, do you have like a structure that like something that you've read somewhere for structure that you really stick to or that you find you use in a lot of writing not really i mean i think i think that basic you know three-act structure of a film is the one that just comes naturally people I, I think it comes naturally to us whether we know it or not like everything in some way has that structure every piece of art that's created has that structure so it's not that I set out to do it although sometimes I do it very much for me depends on what the project is like sometimes I'll start out and I'll go okay this needs this this needs that this needs that 
sometimes I'll start with a story idea. Sometimes I start by writing a scene. Like for me, it changes every time. I don't have one way of doing it. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I would say more often than not, I let the, whatever I'm writing, I let that inform how it's going to come out. You so you sort of look at the last paragraph and then write on the next paragraph, sort of like just let it. Sometimes, but not always. Yeah. But sometimes it happens that way. And then other times I've, I've written some things and they haven't changed that much from the time I started writing until the time I finished. And then I've written some things that I look at and I go, okay, that bears no resemblance whatsoever right. to the piece that I finally ended up producing. Right. So it's, yeah, I find it, it changes for me every single time. So do you, and, and do you look back at your first drafts and think like, what was I thinking? Like, what was I even doing? How did I begin this? Well, again, my friend Sherry White, who I have had many, many story conversations with, she said to me a long time ago, she went, just look, just admit it. Like, your first draft's going to be shit. That's yeah. it. Like, just write what you want to say and don't let anyone read it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah, right. That is it. Yeah. And it, But it took, takes a long time. It took me a long time to get over that because... I'm very much a perfectionist, mm-hmm. and, and I still struggle with it. Like, I'm in the middle of writing something now. I got halfway through, and I stopped. I went, oh, this is not working. So instead of pushing myself to finish it, which I will have to because mm-hmm. I'm on the deadline, um, I just stopped, and I went, okay, that's not good enough. Well, like, first of all, i got to get over that silliness and just go, what odds if it's not good enough? It's, this is not what's going to get shot. Right. So, but I think I – think, in some ways, every writer goes through that at some point. I think some writers maybe experience it less so, and I think some experience it on a very severe level. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm. I think I'm somewhere in the middle of, of that. Um, but yeah, now I forgot what your question was. I don't even know if I answered it. Yeah, well, I, th- I think you did. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's just it's about those first drafts, and it's about that. Yeah, that was that it. terrifying like. I, I find I finish my first draft and I look at it and I just, it's the same thing. I just sit there and I'm like, should I even be doing this? Like, yeah. what am I doing here? This is ridiculous. And like, I won't, I find it so hard to look at, at my first drafts and think we should move on from here. Like, I just yeah. sit there and feel like trash for I weeks. think that's a good place to come from. I know it doesn't, I know that maybe it doesn't sound right, but I think it is a good place to come from. Like, you, because it means that you want better of yourself right well I definitely can't go any lower so that's, <laughs> that's I guess that is good there's yeah. only up from there yeah. yeah so like how like of course when you write your first draft you're gonna go I can do better than that if, if you didn't think that like I've read a lot of things that people have, have sent me over the years and they go can you read this and I think to myself I wonder what stage they feel it's at and I've given feedback and never heard from that person again. Like, right. literally never heard from them. And I thought, is it because it was, like, super harsh? Like, are you a... I don't think I'm a harsh critic, but I certainly don't believe in bullshitting anybody. That's like, great. You yeah. know? Like, why why do that? That That's not going to serve them at all. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't think I'm harsh. I think I ask questions of them in terms of, like, where they feel it's going. And then I sometimes say, because for me, it's saying this. Yeah. You know? And if it is, and if if I'm bingo right on, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. If I'm not, then to me that says, oh, then I've got a problem. There's I better go back and address that in some way. Right. But yeah, and and then other and then for, but for the most part, you know, anyone and I think this is again a common thing. Anyone who asks for feedback is is actually looking for real feedback. Yes. They want yeah, it. You know, for they sure. want. I think there are some people out there who are like, please tell me I'm doing a good job, and they just that's all they want is yeah. just like you're doing. And great, after a while, you and... figure that out. You go, yeah. oh, okay, what they want is keep 
keep going. Yeah. And I, I feel everybody needs that. But, you know, the ones who are at it kind of all the time. Yeah. I want to be I, ripped to shreds. Totally. If I like, said that yeah. to you, you'd go, well, that was pointless. Why did I even... Why should you even waste the time to read it? Yeah, you I know? love it. Like, if there's tears, like, when I'm reading it, like, that's <laughs> ideal. I, yeah. wanna, I just want to get ripped apart yeah. and start it from the, from the beginning. Because I find I'm, I'm bad with giving notes because I always try to, like, I'm... I can't, the yeah, I can't do it. Like, I'm always, I'm trying to do those little, like, nice compliment sandwiches and stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I find, like, I'm not, I, and I'm not, I don't get asked very often mm-hmm. for, uh, for notes. But when I do, I always, like, I'll always send it away and then I'll be like, I should have been meaner. Yeah. Like, just a little, like, yeah. just a tad meaner. Just, a, yeah, exactly. Just a bit more critical and stuff. And I think your point about a compliment is, is a good point. Because everyone likes to start with something nice. I mean, whenever I look at my feedback, I go, oh, that was nice. Okay, what did they really say? What, you know? Yeah. But it is. It's good. It's hard. Especially yeah, well, and especially when you've given feedback, you know, you see the nice part, and you're like, oh, they're softening it. Something's coming. <laughs> like, I know what they're doing. <laughs> like, where's the real meat of this? Yeah. Expertise, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is good. And if, you, and if, you don't, if you're never challenged, you're never going to get that beautiful piece that you're hopefully striving towards anyway. Right. And I use beautiful in a very broad sense. Yeah. <laughs> Horror is beautiful too, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but, you know, um, a, a complete piece that you're, that, that you're satisfied with. Right. Yeah. I think that's the main thing is to be satisfied with it in the end. Yeah. And and that's hard. It's hard to be satisfied with something that a lot of people have input on. It is really. And I, I find, I, I don't know if you find this, but because you wear a lot of hats. Yes. Um, like you do every, I can't name a thing that you don't. <laughs> That you don't do. I don't do that 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 well. I can name a few of those. <laughs> well, we, we all we all I think try, that about I ourselves. Try but a lot I mean, of things. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I mean, do you find that like the more hats you wear in a project, the harder it is to be satisfied with it? Um, gee, that's a good question, Mike. I don't know if I've ever thought about that. Uh, I should have thought about that, but it is a good question because I often don't like if I'm directing something, I try not produce it entirely right. myself because I know I need that objective eye outside. Uh, I have sometimes co-produce. I don't do it a lot, like if I'm directing myself. Yeah. Uh, I have not yet attempted to be in anything that I've directed. Right. I, that, that's a big... Um, that's a big leap of courage. It is. You have to have a lot of faith in yourself as an actor. You do. And yeah. like, I've worked for a long time as an actor and I still, like, I like that guiding hand as an actor. That's like, I really feel like that, that is the director's job. I trust yeah. them implicitly, mm-hmm. you know, that, that if I'm not giving them what they want, they will make sure I know that. Right. And they'll help guide me in some way towards it. So yeah, it is a little bit, I, like, I haven't, I haven't gone that far yet. So I do try to separate my hats a little bit. Now, I've written and performed. I find that, not that it's easier, but I find those two jobs a lot easier to separate. Because right. once it's written, generally, I will say to the director, if you're okay with this now, I'm going to take that writer hat off, and let's just, let's just work on you know, directing and acting in this. Right. And what I find often is that the director will find something in that script that I have not even thought of. Yeah. You know. And then you take credit right away. You're like, of course I was thinking that. Yeah, exactly. That's how deep I am. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, actors always, anyway, bring extra, like they bring a different, um, I don't know, they bring, just bring different interpretation to it. So even, I've even had the experience, and this is going to sound like puffed up or something, but I've even had the experience of reading something on my own as an actor and went, 
Oh, I know what she was saying. Yeah. <laughs> I know what she's I know what, what writing this is really about. was saying about yeah. that. Yeah. And I go, this is what that's really about. That's not about this. That's about this here. Yeah. And especially in theater, I find it, I've had that experience a few times because I've written more, you know, full length things in, in theater. Mm-hmm. And often I will veer very far right. from what Ruth, the writer, had originally intended when she wrote it. And that's, that's actually a really satisfying place to be too. I'd say, yeah. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. So, yeah. So in terms of separating, like, I think I find it a little bit easy, but I'm also smart enough for my own self and what I need to know when I need someone else doing that job or at least having some kind of outside eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, I think, and I hope that it's what helps me make my work better. And in the end, I'm a bit more satisfied with it than yeah. I would have been. If I was trying to do it all myself, I've always been a team player. Like, yeah, in, we were talking about basketball earlier, and I was thinking, like, I, I always played on the basketball team. I was not a cross country runner. Like, right. <laughs> I like te- I like teamwork. I like people playing different roles, and I've always trusted that if you know on the team, if that's your position, that's the job you're doing. Right. On a film set, if that's your job, you're doing it well. Like, I just trust that. Yeah. That's, that is, that's what you have so to do. So you're not, like, playing defense and then you just go and, like, slam dunk over the center or something like that. Exactly. And, like, that's not me at all. Like, no. <laughs> that's, yeah. Tossing them all forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and so I, I actually really get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And I think, too, it's what drew me to theater because it's much more that kind of team. You know, everyone's got their job and we're all trying to do it as well as possible. Right. Yeah. And I'm, did you start I've never been theater? a one-man band. Right. <laughs> so did you, you started in theater I did. Yeah. yeah. I uh, well, I started the theater late by most people's standards because I didn't have any theater club or drama club or any theater in school. Right. Uh, so I came to St. John's at a high school. I came from a little place of two hundred people. Okay. Uh, and I'd actually not. I'd only seen one touring show in my school, and I had. But I watched a lot of CBC, and at the time, CBC was making a lot of local production. Oh, okay. Uh, so I grew up thinking that. I could do that job. I, I didn't tell many people I could do that job, right. but I just kind of had the sense that that's the job I want to do and that's the one I'm going to do. So it was watching it on CBC that sort of turned you towards it even yeah. before you had even experienced it? Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Like from Skipper and Company to Up at Hours to Wonderful Grand Band, like that was the stuff we grew up with. So we were seeing ourselves, like I was seeing Newfoundlanders on TV all the time and I thought, yeah, that's what Newfoundlanders do. They they make television, they make movies, that's what they do. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I just thought it was, I knew it wasn't in St. Jack's they were doing it. Right. But I did know they were doing it in St. John's. Somewhere out there. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, oh yeah, that's what they do in St. John's. So when I came, when I first came to St. John's, I went to Munn for one year. It sort of started poking my nose into the industry a bit, but I was a full-time student. Uh, and then I went to theater school in Ontario. Oh, okay. Always with the intention of coming back, because in my mind, still... This is where it all happens. This is what Newfoundlanders do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I went up there, and after six years in school, I just said, yeah, I'm going home. Of course I'm going home. That's right. what I'm going to work at. Cool. Yeah. So I came home, worked with a bunch of theater companies. I did start my own eventually with Sherry, uh, but that was just 15 years ago in 2001. So I worked for about eight years um, with a lot of other companies. And I mean, I continued to, even though we started this little company, basically, we started it with the intention of producing all our own work 
but I couldn't keep up. I couldn't write right. a play a year. Yeah. <laughs> I was too busy doing other stuff, so we started producing other people's. Oh, okay. And that's how the theater company developed, really. Yeah, because you're and, and you have quite a bit of like producing experience. I do. Which is by not even by choice, really. It kind of just happened because once I started a theater company, I had to produce because that's if you've got a theater company and you're going to produce shows, well, someone has to be the producer. Right. And it just kind of fell upon me to do it. Yeah. And that's what gave me the easiest transition into filmmaking because I learned a lot about producing theater. Everything doesn't transfer over, but a lot of it does. Mm -hmm. A lot of that same skill goes over. And, of course, I was working in film and TV uh, as an actor, so I was seeing that side of things. Always very interested in what was going on over there on the other side of the camera, too. Uh, And just, you know, really appreciated what that process was. I remember the first time I was on a film set in like a lead role, Greg Malone was directing this um, docudrama called Untold Story of the Newfoundland Suffragettes. Oh, yes, yeah. And I am a nighttime person. Like, I'm up till 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Right. And that was the first time I had to get up at 5. Right. To go to work. <laughs> yeah. But I went into, I went on that set, I was bouncing, I was so happy. Right. it was such an exciting process. And it was just so interesting to feel like such a big part of the team that was put, that was making this thing. Right. And even though the actors kind of tell the story on screen, there is so much of the storytelling that happens for you, you know, with all the crews that contribute to that film. Oh, so, yeah. yeah it's, so, a big, it's a big jump into film, too, because it's like you see it and you, you have this assumption of what it is. It's like this yeah. like cloud land where everybody's just sort of like floating around and being like, we're doing what we love. This is amazing. And yeah. then you get up at 4.30 in the morning for you a 5 o'clock call time. You pull back the curtain yeah. and you go, yeah. oh, that's what it's really like. Yeah. yeah Prop guy an... screams at you to put that down and you're like, okay, I won't touch. No more touching. Yeah. And I, like I'm just background, right? So I could yeah. basically be replaced by a couch most of the time. And uh, so it's like, it's uh, I, I still love it. Like I love being on set all the time, but all the background work that I do, I find I just go in and try and stay out of everybody's way. And I'm, I'm over in the corner, like smiling and sort of bouncing around. Exactly. And they're like, Hey, stop smiling. Sit down. Act drunk. I'm like, okay, fine. And, I'll do whatever you want. Me yeah, to do. yeah. But it's true. And I learned one of my big lessons early on that, um, on that film, because I, it was a tea, it was a tea scene where I was delivering basically a monologue as I was serving, I think, six women tea in this, you know, very beautiful uh, house down on Gower Street. It was all set up with this gorgeous tea, China, you know, like yeah. that's a set deck person to come in and make it look beautiful. And so then uh, Greg, the director, said, okay, now, you know, this is the order that I want you to serve them in. Okay, no problem. So I, as in rehearsal, did the whole speech and for me I'm going this is good I'm you know getting all the lines out getting the work done perfect laying it all out we finish the rehearsal Greg goes yeah that's perfect that's what we're gonna do and then the continuity person comes over and goes okay you picked up the cup (laughs) on the word uh would you and and then you laid it back down on on and now we're going to and I'm like if you did that for all six people around and I went Make it as an actor. Because <laughs> yeah. I thought, if I have to actually pick up a cup, pour it, think about it's got to go back to Like, for the continuity sake, I'm, yeah. out, I'm doomed. I'm and then doomed. you also have to get your lines, and you also have to have that performance <laughs> behind perform. the lines. Yeah. I thought, this is never going to happen. We're going to be here all day. Anyway, luckily, uh, with Lily, the continuity gal's help, I actually did get through it all. Yeah. And that is the beauty of the close-up and coverage. Yeah. <laughs> 
there's that cup right yeah. there, back down in this place. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, okay, this is a hard, hard job. But I got through the scene and it didn't take all day. Uh, and that was when I learned, oh yeah, this is the beauty of film. We're going to yeah. shoot this six times yeah. to get it right. Because there's some so. things from film and theater that you just wish you could chuck over to the other one. Like when you're, oh, as a theater God. actor, being able to be like, I'm just going to do that again if that's okay. Like that's an amazing. That's an amazing thing. But also in theater, you don't have to worry about, did I put that cup down last night yeah. on the word did or yeah. do I? You know, it happens when it happens. Yeah, yeah you can so. throw it out the window. It's just like it doesn't, you know, most of the time you'll be fine. <laughs> no, you can just make no. that choice. It's like, oh, I love that choice you made last night. Don't do it again, but I exactly. love that choice. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there is there is some crossover, and there's lots of lessons to be learned on both sides, I think. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, to me, they have both contributed to the way I work, and I think the way I, the way I work with other people, I think anyway. I hope I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, there's the do you do you find you had to really tone things back from starting in theater and moving to film? I always find like um, the like did you find you were just going like way too big? Um, that's a good question, especially one, a good one to ask anyone who directed me. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think, again, I feel like early on when I was doing because when I first came back, I was doing, getting like lots of little small roles in amazing stuff, like Extraordinary Visitor and uh, this great film, this little cult kind of classic called Anchor Zone. And I was getting little small roles in that and they were enough to show me, teach me the difference. So I was surrounded by amazing actors and I just got the opportunity to see other people in action and go, oh, here we are. here's where we are. So it wasn't like I had to do anything solely on my own. I was in a scene with excellent actors and I was going, oh yeah, that's what they're doing. That's right. amazing. Oh yes. That's yeah, where yeah. I'm at. That's where I'll be, you know? So I think that is, you kind of take the temperature, I think, of the, the tone of the set and and what the other actors are doing and kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, here's where we are. This is the world we're in. Mm-hmm. And I, I, for, for me, at least, I think that's what informs um, how I approach something right. in particular on a particular project. Cool. So you worked on a lot of things this year alone. I mean, this year, I've, I've been seeing your name everywhere. I mean, there was you, you were producing Hunting Pig Nut. Yeah, I co-produced that, so it was my first feature, so Paul Pope was the lead producer, Mm -hmm. and I was brought on to be mentored. I learned a lot. There's still lots to learn. Uh, So yeah, I co-produced on that. I also, what else did I do this year? I uh, co-produced another short that Martine Blue, who also directed uh, Hunting Pig Nut, she did a short called Perfect Family, and of Unfortunately, I felt very removed from that film because I unfortunately had two or three other projects right. on. Yeah. So I did co-produce and I did mentor her, but the mentoring was kind of a, okay, here you go. Now go to set and employ yeah. all that stuff. Right. It was more like that, um, which I didn't really feel that great about, to be honest, but she seems happy and she's very capable. Yes. Yeah. She, she is a do it, do it yourself kind of gal. She does it all. I, I just don't have all well, how, those How was the turnaround between that feature and the short? It was like two weeks? Yeah, well, we had already shot one day of three out of the, on the short film in the right. summer. And then we shot... Yeah, I think she finished, she wrapped Hunting Pig Nut. And then two weeks later, we did the shoot for the other two days yeah. on that one. Did so you all just like... Quick 
wrap Pignut, go to sleep, and then wake up and do... <laughs> it's, that is what it felt yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it wasn't long. I mean, for Martina, it must have been really stressful. We, we had pretty long days, obviously, as co-producer and director on that film. Mm-hmm. So it was... Uh, and we were doing... Because it was low budget, we were doing it in you know a very compressed amount of time. Right. Um, so... Yeah, it felt it felt like it was pretty soon after, but you know that's kind of the way we work, I guess. Like, yeah. I didn't feel like it was that overwhelming. Um, yeah, it was like everybody gets up and goes through the job the next day. And yeah, it's kind of the same in this industry in some ways. Like, you might be doing something completely different than you did yesterday. Yeah, but you're getting up and you're starting. Well, I felt else. like from my from my end of things, just sitting down and like I'm just cruising like <laughs> Facebook or whatever on, on my yeah. day, and I'm just like I'm like, oh, didn't they just finish? A whole I know. feature film, and now they're doing a short, and I'm like, I need to, I need to work. What I am know. I doing? I'm and just... uh, so don't, so uh, don't judge me for this. So as soon as I finished Pignut, I actually started producing the theater production that yes. happened last week. So I, I basically finished that and went, okay, now I gotta put some attention on that. So yeah. I, I produced that too, and I was in that show. So yeah, it was, it's been a busy fall. Yeah. By absolutely. the time that, by the time that theater show wrapped. I was feeling pretty tired, but yeah. I'm okay now. I have a few days, you know, to rest up, and I'm all right now. Right. <laughs> but that, yeah, it is. It's it's a it's a busy. A, yeah. When I look back, I, I get a lot more tired than I do when I'm in the middle of it. I think. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you don't have time to be tired then. That, no, that's it's just like your brain has it's to turn panic. Off for a while. Let's get this thing done. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. time is always, you know, in some ways, time's on your side because you have a deadline. It's going to be done by then or gonna happen it's not yeah. like it's not gonna happen um but it's all it also means that it's gonna get to a point where what you've done has to be good enough yes and that's the part that's hardest to reconcile yeah yeah it's trial by fire has to be good enough yeah, yeah. exactly so we're, this is sorry. This is the part of the podcast where we're going to shit on Robert <laughs> for a little <laughs> while. For a while. I, was, I was just gonna say, like the the stuff he wrote, I don't. I have never seen, so therefore I don't have any way to respect it. William Goldman, on the other end, on the other hand, wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. And The Princess Bride, which I think oh, really? I have watched 25 or 30 times that. in my life. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. So it, when he speaks or writes, I shall read. Right. You know, like that he knows of which he speaks, in my, my opinion. And mm-hmm. so his book is great. Right. I, I found that one. It kind of got me out of this because I remember reading this and a couple of people I said afterwards I said yeah I didn't want to write anything after and they said oh you should read William Goldman's book it'll get you right out of that because he acknowledges what the Hollywood uh, formula and the Hollywood way is but then he goes uh, you don't have to write that if you don't want to yeah you know that it, it's more along those lines and that is the big sort of uh, paradox of the whole thing it's like that you want everybody wants. The same thing, but told in a different way. Exactly. Like it's like I need to latch onto this, but I it also needs to not be something not, I've seen before. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah, and I found him very inspiring. Like I said, I it's easy to be inspired by him because he's right. a great writer. Mm-hmm. So you go, oh, he must know something. Right. Like he can write those things, and and they're beautiful, amazing films. Right. So yeah, and I grew up on Hollywood films. Like I, I, I mean, really, it was moving to St. John's and being at the Women's Film Festival that opened my world up to a whole bunch of other films. Right. And going to the Munson and the series, because I grew up watching all Hollywood mm-hmm. films. My, I had a high school teacher who was amazing. He showed films every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
So I, I grew up watching the latest films, which right. was extraordinary considering I lived in a little town of 200 right. in Fortune Bay. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when E.T. came out, we saw it within two or three months of its release. Right. So that was my model of the world in terms of film. Mm -hmm. Like I was, yes, I was watching Newfoundland made stuff on TV, but I didn't make any separation. I was young. Right. I was going, that's, this is it. This is on and the this screen. this is it too. Different yeah. screen. Exactly. Yeah. To me, it was all part and parcel. The same process, same kind of, you know, same way of working. So I grew up on the Hollywood movie and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until I came here, started experiencing other things, going to other stuff that I really, my world opened up in terms of what kind of other films were out there. Right. And it was blown up really, not even just opened up. I know so, this is like a hard thing to ask film people too, but like what, do you have like a, like somewhere, a realm of a favorite? Um, Something that you sort of watch over and over again to get re-inspired? Oh, God, I have a few, uh, but I, I, I'm i always drawn to magical realism. I, I like that in everything. I love it in my theater. I love it in my films. Okay. So I'm very drawn to that. There's something about that genre that just does it for me. I like feeling like there's something else other than what we're experiencing happening in the world. Right. Not in a supernatural way, but in a super special kind of way, you know? Uh, so in terms of where my tastes lie, I definitely, uh, you know, I definitely would grab that off the shelf or turn that on the TV a lot faster than I would say something else. Um, there's a few films that I watched early on that I just fell in love with. Uh, there's a film called Like Water for Chocolate. Oh, okay. Have you ever seen it? I think I just saw that book the other day. You might have. Laura yeah. Esquivel wrote it. And the film, oh my goodness, I'm going to remember his name. It's, it's, he's a Mexican filmmaker, and I can't believe I've just forgotten. Oh my God, it's gone out of my head. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll edit it in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look it up after so you can put it in. Yeah. Anyway, he, so amazing uh, Mexican filmmaker and absolutely lush. It's a film that, that encompasses food into the film in the most magical of ways. And it was the first, one of the first films that I thought that, like, I can taste that film. Right. It was just so evocative and sensory. Just uh, definitely one to see. Like Water for Chocolate. That's great. Absolutely beautiful. Um, and, then, and then sort of through the years, I just have seen other things like Jane Campion's work, Lynn Shelton, Susanna Beer, like just these global amazing women out there making films winning oscars and mm -hmm. you know winning awards and they're it's quite inspiring and 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 in canada um have you ever seen even the fire horse no i haven't it's an incredible film by julie kwan it was her first feature absolutely stunning like i look at it and i have to remind myself every time it's one of those films i go back right. to uh, I have to remind myself every time that it's her first feature, and uh, it's like, how how did she do that? Yeah. Again, it's magical realism, so I was really really drawn to it, but just just captured that world of these two little girls so beautifully, mm -hmm. you know, and just yeah, just a gorgeous gorgeous film. I highly recommend it. Yeah. And then locally. You know, we have incredible filmmakers here. Deanne Foley, yes. Jordan Canning, Sherry White, like, who are making amazing films 
that like if you're surrounded by that in this community, how can you not? Yeah. You know, how can how can you not be inspired to go and make it? It's so town? much, yeah. And a lot of those names that you've just mentioned are people that I'm actively pursuing now to get on to talk to. You just should like, just like so many people in this pro. It's like we just have this wealth of people to to you know because yeah. this podcast in in many many ways is incredibly selfish for me. Yeah. Like I just like sitting in rooms of people that I really admire and just sort of getting to talk to and also like. You guys are giving me great watch lists now, yeah. of, like things that I can go look at. Oh, and, good. Yeah. But I mean, that is why we do the work we do, right? We, we are selfish. We want to feed ourselves. Yeah. And we want to feed ourselves in many ways other than with just great food. Like, I, I think, of course, you're doing it for those reasons. Like, that is the best reason to want to do it. It's why I do almost everything. I go out, I want to work with that person or I want to try this thing. And wow, that person knows how to do it. Like, mm-hmm. always surround yourself with people who know how to do amazing things. Yeah. Like maybe your work will start to be amazing too, you know? <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. That, that's, that's been my trick. Yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping to get out of the, uh, when someone mentions my name, everybody going, who? And somebody going, oh. I don't <laughs> think like, anyone. I don't that's think all anyone I wanna, goes who That's anymore. where I'm going. <laughs> I think that's changed. <laughs> Give yourself some credit. Oh. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, when you're talking about like watching somebody's first feature, like, do you find it hard sometimes to sort of push down that, uh, like urge to be like, ah, how could you, like, how do you, I don't, uh, I, I don't find that hard at all. I think it's because I, I mean, I might be jealous, like yeah. I wish I'd done that, but oh my God, just, it, I, I think anyone who's tried to make or has made a project of their own realizes how much work it takes Mm -hmm. to complete like you know a film anything anything to complete anything that's right and so it's hard not to kind of have that little wow you did it yeah behind you know watching a great success yeah yeah and and you know at the same time we have to fail too if we don't fail we're never going to succeed. That's if my favorite rule. My yeah. favorite rule is go fail. I love love that. Yeah, like that, that was like that was what I feel like I paid six, six I paid for six years of education so that I could fail in private behind closed doors mm-hmm. over and over and over and over yeah. again. Like that's what I was paying for. As as an actor, if if you're not doing that and if you're not taking those risks, then you're not really going to learn anything. You're going to walk out of there with the same skills that you had when you went in. And that's why I'm like so grateful to have grown up with improv because that's like rule number one is like fail joyfully, go up on stage. doesn't matter how many people are there, just fail in front of them. Exactly. And fail big. Just takes all the pressure off. Yeah. It's so true. I think that, I think you're totally right. I I think I've heard, I feel like one of my teachers at one point said fail joyfully, fail Mm -hmm. big. Yeah. Like just, you know, if you're going to be wrong, be the biggest wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you go up on stage and you and you fail, it's like it's it's not hurting the audience in any way. Like no. it's, a, it's a completely risk-free big risk. Yeah, right? like exactly. It's, <laughs> it's yeah, and it hasn't yeah. cost that much. It, it's funny. One of my one of my mantras to myself: if I'm doing work that I, you know, like a theater show or something that I don't feel like I've quite gotten it, or I don't feel like the play quite got there, or I always always like just for the curtain or before the lights come up or whatever, I'll say to myself, in two hours, this will be over, and most likely I'll still be alive. (laughs) Right. It's like, how bad can it really get out there? Yeah, and (laughs) there's always always the next thing. I think it's the, uh, and and I think it's what we were sort of saying about like those, that's what I love about the deadline. Mm -hmm. It's like the deadline is there, this has to be done, because you could take a script 
and you could stare at it for five years and yeah. it would never be done. No, exactly. It's never ever going to be finished until you hit that deadline. Yeah. And then it's out and you have no more control over it and it's just on to the next thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. For me, flying is probably the best instigator for me to get to work because whenever I get on a plane, I'm not afraid of flying at all. In mm -hmm. fact, I love it. I, I used to say that if teleportation like comes in my lifetime I'm the first to sign up I just want to try it oh yeah getting there I don't really love the joy of traveling I like getting there I like where I'm right. getting where I'm going um, <laughs> it's not that way in life I enjoy the journey but but when it comes to travel it's like ah, I got no time for the travel time at all you'd go into the teleporter and come out with an arm on top of your I head and be like, like well at least fly. I'm here I, I mean... watch the fly I'm like well that's the risk you took you know? yeah <laughs> that's the kind of the risk that mm, okay you know okay you're going to buzz around now. you got a lot more eyes than when you came, went into that thing. Yeah, but. silver lining, really. You've got to look at the see a lot better. <laughs> yeah. uh, so when I get on a plane, I, I always have that moment just before the plane takes off that I think to myself, mm, I shouldn't really have brought my laptop because most of my life's work is on this thing. Mm -hmm. And, boy, some of those things aren't finished. Yeah. And so that is a real good instigator mm -hmm. for me because I always go, yeah, I got to get back to that. Like whatever that thing is, there's always one project that pops up in my head and I go, I haven't finished that yet. And then I think, yeah, that's the one I got to work on when I get yeah. back home because I know that that's kind of the moment of reckoning. Yeah. 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 I feel that whenever my computer just freezes up, like even if I move my mouse, it doesn't get there fast enough. My whole life flashes before my eyes because I'm like, everything's on this. I don't have it backed up. I know. It and I never it. back it up after either. It's I know. It's right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's right I never there. do it. I, I only backed mine up when I actually did lose a whole bunch one time. And I was like, okay, I've got to let, make peace with that. Let it go. Save everything else. Yeah, see. And that's that's a great way to think of that because if I lost everything, I would dig a hole and just go <laughs> in and, and I, that's, I would live, piece, I'd be a whole person now. Lost, yeah. Lost. Yeah. I know it's true. Eh? Yeah. Uh, now, okay, so we just started because I came back from my little uh, cooking break. Right. Yes. I don't know if you'll even be able to notice it because of the magic of editing. I don't know how well <laughs> we're going to be able to do that, but we took a break. Um, uh, but yeah, we were we were going to talk about um, so the the whole sort of basis of this podcast. Well, mostly it is just sort of a loosey goosey talk, but uh, is that we were going to talk about the movie that you would love to make that you don't think could ever. Get made. made. Yeah. Yeah. By me is the idea, right? Yeah. Like, or or sort of. By me. Yeah. And I thought about that a lot after you mentioned. I thought, well, nowadays you can make anything. Right. Like, the people who work in science and technology in film are truly astonishing. It's true. Yeah. They have found a way to do everything. Mm -hmm. it's, it's It really is extraordinary. We're so lucky. So now, even if you feel like you can't make it, well, you hire an animator. Right. And they make it happen mm -hmm. because that's where yeah. dreams come true. <laughs> the animators, <laughs> it's in, yeah. It's in animation. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Like, like I actually couldn't think of anything. The, the only thing, because I, I happen to be cooking today, which I never do. I'm not, I'm not a good cook at all. Uh, I happen to be cooking today, and I was thinking, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's the thing that we'll never be able to, we'll never be able to make the movie we can smell. Maybe. Oh, like Smell-O-Vision? Yeah. Old, yeah. Yeah, like that's been tried. Didn't catch on. Wasn't that effective? What was that? The, is that the... There was a thing at... Uh, I don't know if it was Disney World or Universal Studios where they have the screen and it, it sprays smells at you and it sprays water at you and... Get out. It's like a fourth dimension. I remember they had yeah. a Terminator one. Right. Yeah. And, oh, and wow. at one point the Terminator explodes and you get sprayed with water <laughs> and it feels like he... <laughs> Right. So, like, yeah, that experience, yeah. like, it feels to me like that's not really going to catch on. Because, number one, 
who really wants it? Like, yeah. you know, film is the visual medium. That's kind of where it sits at, I guess. I don't know. So I was like, yeah, what film could you not make? Like, that anyone would want right. to make. I, I feel like we're even getting 3D shoved down our throats right now. Like, a yeah. lot of people are like, no, I don't need it. And they're like, but what about this? And they just make, like, knives come towards you. And you're it's like, so I don't... True. I know. Yeah. Like, we, like, there are just some things we don't want. We want a really good story well told. And we're, we're not really that... We don't really care that much if, yeah. if, if we're going to interact with it or it's going to interact with us. Right. I totally agree. Like, I've gone to see a few 3D, 3D things. And... Uh, it like the the impact on me is minimal and right. most I'd say irritating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only I've I think I've only ever seen two movies in 3D that I thought I that I was like I'm glad I watched this in 3D and one of them was Coraline. Um, no way. If you ever saw Coraline, Coraline I didn't see is it in 3D. it's it's actually built to be done in 3D, so it, oh, it makes it it sticks out the because um, it's all done sort of like claymation style. Yeah. But the uh, all the backgrounds and stuff were actually layered right. in a way that it looks more like paper, like oh, the whole wow. world is made of paper. It, it looks amazing. Um, and uh, I would never have thought of that as a 3D movie, but yeah, now yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. That was the only one that I sort of saw, and I like right away I was like, oh, I'm glad I saw this in yeah. 3D. And uh, Gravity, I was glad I saw Gravity. I was sort of glad I saw Gravity in 3D because it was making me want to throw up a lot more. But yeah, was, uh, I saw it, but I, I don't think I saw it. In the, I feel like I didn't see it in the theater, although I did see it before the awards that year. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I did not see it in 3D because I no. didn't have that. Oh, I watched it on a plane. Oh, that's, bro, oh, that's a great choice. That was a great place to watch it, and it was actually a very frightening place to watch. I'd say that film. Yeah, <laughs> because I saw it, and I went, I wonder what this is going to be like on this trip. Yeah, and that kind of added that little bit of extra fear. I'm surprised that was allowed on, on planes. They have like re- pretty strict rules, don't they? Or, I don't know. Do yeah. they? Well, I remember that was I watched so past. Uh, the day be, uh, the day after they tomorrow. They thought it was about Isaac Newton or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, it's a movie about apples falling Science on people. Guy. It's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. And then all of the, the Sandra Bullock hurtling through space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never thought of that, but they probably don't. They probably don't show any films on planes that have hijackings. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, you, want, like, you wouldn't watch Air Force One or, yeah, anything like that on, on a plane. <laughs> Especially you know, now. Snakes on planes. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose they probably would veer away from those. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like what wouldn't, what what movie I could make that wouldn't get made, I, yeah, I mean, probably the one I'm working on. That's my fear. Oh, it? yeah. The movie that <laughs> that won't get made is the one I'm working on writing. Like, that's, I guess that's probably every writer's fear is yeah. oh god where is this ever going to go I'm in the same thing my first my first feature I'm looking at it and I'm like this is too expensive yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. and then you can let other people read it and, they, and the worst is when they say oh this is beautiful can you do that for $250,000 instead of 5 million or 6 million or 10 or whatever yeah. you think okay that's probably what it's going to cost yeah and it's like oh yeah that, so that'll be the movie that'll never get made yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can do that for 250000 or 25,000, you know, yeah. like that's the pressure these days is, is to do everything as cheaply as possible. And while I, I acknowledge why that is, cause it's an expensive risk to take to mm-hmm. put that much money in, in sometimes in the hands of an unknown, but you know, for the most part, even if the director or the writer is unknown, the people around them are not like you have to have the faith of a lot of awfully good people 
in order to actually get your film made. Yes, yeah. So in some ways, the risk is minimized by the team most of the time, you know. But uh, yeah, I think that for me is like sort of in some ways the saddest part because you go, okay, make this for as cheap as possible. It's like when people make uh, pilots and they go, oh, we're just going to make the pilot cheap in order to get to attract sponsors or investors. Or right. And then I go, yeah, but they're still seeing that cheap thing. Yeah. And they go, I'm not going to invest in that. That looks cheap. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that. So buying, that's like buying a cheap car seat for your baby. Just being like, oh, we'll get a, we'll get a better one later when the baby's later. older and we'll exactly. appreciate it. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's some things you just can't skip out on. Right? Yeah. And so I think that's where I hope things don't go. I've seen amazing, absolutely incredible films like um, Kristen Sparks's Cast Shadow, Shadow yeah. made for an absolutely obscenely low budget. Yeah. But man, and they, they did it. it. The they blew yeah. it out of the water. But it, but that was because they had incredibly skilled people yeah. behind it. If they had more money, they still would have made that amazing yeah. film. You know, so it's one of those cases where you go, yeah, uh, they did it on that because they're just that good. Yeah, and and a good project I think attracts good people. Like mm-hmm. I think if you if you put a script out there, like I and and you get see a great actor who, like they'll be willing to take a cut on it because I've I've always thought that film is sort of unique in the way that everybody who's doing it is doing it because they want to be. Yeah. Because there's easier ways to make money. There is. You don't have to you know work eighteen nineteen hour days getting up at five thirty. For three months and then have no work for six months. You don't have to do that. There's yeah. easier ways. I know. I just had that conversation with someone recently, and I said, "Yeah, like not everyone wants to do that." And most of those people go, "I think I'll go do something else." Yeah. Right. It's the passion. I mean, that sounds cliche, but it is. It's the passion to do it that drives people in this industry. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And I'm always really thankful that their passion is in set decoration. Yes. Or in lighting, or in you know, being behind that camera and making mm-hmm. sure that I get the picture that I want. Yes. Like, I'm incredibly thankful for that because yeah. thank God for their passion or else I'd be there trying to figure out how to make this thing myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked when I meet somebody and they're like, I just love the, the like act of setting up lights to create mood. And I'm like, amazing. Hang out with me. I, I hate that. So yeah. you, you do that. Yeah. And you're good at it. Yeah. This is really good to know. You're good at it. I'm terrible at it. And they're like, you want to sit down in like a tiny cave and just write all day? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I do. That's that's all I want to do. And yeah. It's uh, it's it's interesting because in my mind, I can't imagine where somebody sees the joy in lighting, and in their mind, they can't see how somebody could love just staring at a screen and writing. All yeah, day. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess, Mike, in some ways, the movie that's never going to get made is the one that stays in your head. You know, like the one that that you never take that risk on putting to paper, talking it through with people, Mm -hmm. taking it through to, you know, a phase where someone else can look at it, contribute their ideas, you take them in, go away, absorb them, rewrite that, make it better, take it to a team, they say, yes, we're going to do this because we believe in it or we believe in you or we mm-hmm. believe in something yeah. that drives <laughs> us to make it. There's something out there that's telling Some, me to make it. Yeah. Exactly. And then taking it through to, you know, actually getting the camera rolling. Like if that movie is in your head and I've met lots of people who say, I've got a great idea for a movie. Well, it's just an idea. Mm-hmm. And that idea will, you know, live and die with you. Yeah. Unless you are the one who takes that. Cause no one else is going to write 
the movie that you want to make. Yes. No one. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 So is there is there anything that you've had floating around in your head that you're like, I'll do that next, I'll do that next, kind of just pushing it? I, well, uh, I guess not so much pushing it. Well, probably, depending on how early I die, I guess. <laughs> but I do have a little bit of a lineup in my head of this is going to be my first film. That might be my second, and then that's my third. Okay. So I do actually have a list in my head. Right. Uh, some of them have made it to paper. Some are still ideas that I'm uh, kind of bashing out with others who are smarter than me and better writers. Uh, but I do have two that are in process on paper. One that has one one further along than the other. Um, but yeah, I have at least I have at least three there. So we'll see if I ever get to make them. Right. The ones that stay on paper or stay in my computer. That'll be the saddest stories of my life. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, it's so um, funny because that's your own story. That's something no one else will ever know about. You're exactly. always just every day you come home and you look at your computer and it opens itself up and sort of like makes a tear at you and you're like, no, later. It's so true, right? And I think too, like, uh, just go back to something you said earlier about like if you watch someone else's work and you think, do, like, do you ever think, oh, I wish I'd done that? I, I mean, I suppose the thing that happens is that you think to yourself, maybe you think to yourself, how come I didn't do that? Yeah. But then you have to accept, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, and you got to move on. And, yeah, then you move yeah. on. You go, okay, I'm going to do the thing that I've that, that I've been thinking about and yeah. I've been dreaming about. So, yeah, and, and I, I suppose it gives you a better appreciation for what the other people are doing. Because I go see incredible plays and I go, God, how come no, no one do, did that before? Yes. And thank God that person did it. Yeah. You know, or I've, how come I've no watched, one wrote that uh, song? Under Wraps. Uh, yeah. When I and when I saw Under Wraps, it's um, uh, Robert Chafe's. Was that his first play? It wasn't his very first, but it was probably his first like big cast. His it's, first yeah. play was a one one man show called Urbanite. Oh, okay. That was amazing. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah, that you would have had to been around in the early nineties to see that. Right. Uh, but Under Wraps probably. You might have had, I think you might have had it right when you said it was his first, it was probably the first one that Artist Farad produced, actually. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Because I saw the second time it was done. Yeah, that's when right. I saw so it. good yeah. they brought it back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's, uh, a if, if, like, I, I guess most people, or some people who are listening to this wouldn't have seen it, but that, that whole idea with, it has a sheet over the whole stage, and there are people under the sheet who act as the chorus, and there's shadows cast on the sheet, they raise up cardboard to create mm-hmm. tables, and it's this just fluid set that sort of moves around, and absolutely... I was watching it. I was just blown away. I can see as an improv artist that would really appeal to you. I was too. I was going crazy the yeah, whole show. Yeah, because you're always making things like the things that are not. Well, I had to go see it twice because I didn't I didn't hear some of the dialogue sometimes because I was just sitting there going like, oh my god, how is I this know. happening? It's so true. It's so cool. And I saw it the first time, and then I went to see it the second time, and I went, I don't remember that from the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that that it was there the first time. Right. Like, you know. So yeah, it was it's pretty interesting. But yeah, it's true. And like that's a that's, you know, that's Robert's story. And yeah. who else is going to tell that story? Yeah. 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 So it's, I think, uh, yeah. So I think I admire that more than envy it in some ways. Cause mm-hmm. I just go, wow, like I'm, I'm richer for having experienced that. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and it sort of opens up doors. You didn't know were there. Like I never thought of a, I, I, I had one idea of what a set looked like. Yeah. And then I saw this and I was like, there is a million things we could do. Yeah. We could be doing with sets. Exactly. Yeah. And which also proves the point that going to see stuff is important. Oh yeah. Because the more you see, the better you're going to get. Even if you're not there on stage with it, you are part of that production for the moments that you're there. Like 
you're part of it and you're gaining so much out of that and mm-hmm. it just informs your work from then on yeah you become aware of more what's possible you know yeah yeah so do, and do you do you take like um because uh, i know you work on so much stuff so there's so much overlap but do you mm-hmm. do you purposely take time to just like not work and just experience stuff Oh God, no! I'd like no. to say yes. I'd love to say yes, but I do. I do go see everything I can see. Right. I find it actually. I I'm very saddened when I can't see stuff because mm-hmm. uh, of work schedules or whatever. I'm doing a show at the same time, or I'm in rehearsal, or I have a deadline. Mm-hmm. Like I actually, you know, I'm greedy. I want to see everything. Yes. Yeah. I want to do it all. So, uh, like Luke, I, just this week, my son Luke said to me, and he's a stand-up comic. He always says, I say yes to everything. It gets me in a lot of trouble. And I thought, oh, I heard him say that. And I thought, oh, while I've never said that out loud, that is exactly right. my life. <laughs> yeah. I have said yes to so many things. Felt like I got in trouble. Yeah. And went, oh. So, so yeah, sometimes I say yes to too many things. And yeah. then it limits how much I can experience. But... I had the opposite problem for a long time where people would say, can you do this? And I'd say, I don't know how to do that. And then they'd get someone else. Right. So then I just started learning being like, yes, I can do that. Oh, and then yeah. just going home and Googling it right away and being like, I can figure that out. Exactly. Exactly. I can figure that out. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is, uh, it, it's a fun bit of confidence to have in yourself that you're like, I'll learn it. I'll yeah. Learn it. It's fine. Exactly. And, oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you have to, it, it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll just. You know, it, it just opens so many more, more doors. Mm-hmm. It, it just enriches your work so much more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so were you saying that you wanted to try to make a movie out of Robert McKee's book? Is that what you? Were no. Saying? Oh, I was so <laughs> about that. No, I was, I was looking at it and going, I wonder if you could like read his book and purposely break all that formulaic rules and actually make a good movie. Right. That's probably what could. Pulp Fiction is. Right? Maybe. Would that be? I, I feel like like if someone was doing that, it was it was Quentin Tarantino with Pulp Fiction. Yeah, he was certainly bucking back against that trend of beginning, middle, end. Yeah. 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 And and also in some ways probably poking at that idea of structure, but just putting it right out there for us. Yeah. Going, this is what this is. Yeah. This is what this chapter is. This is what this chapter is. And you have to wonder sometimes if people write that kind of thing and say this is going to change the world of film, or mm-hmm. if they're like. This is pretty cool. I'm going to put it out there, and then it changes the world of film. Yeah, I think so, too. Like, I, I would have a hard time believing, and maybe I'm wrong, that Quentin Tarantino ever gave any credence or worried about it. Like, I yeah. just feel like he's the kind of person who had a vision and just went out and did it his way. Yeah. Went Just wrote what... scenes. Yeah. And said... These are great. These are great interactions. Yeah, yeah. he's courageous. He takes risks, and and a lot, and a lot of times he just goes, "I liked that. I'm going to do something like that." Mm-hmm. I mean, look at his work. It is oh, so yeah. much homage. Yeah, it's... based, and you just go, "Yeah." He's, he goes, "I grew up watching this. I loved it. Yeah, I'd like to see more of that." Mm-hmm. Like, and it just needs to be that to simple, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, and and I think for a lot of people when they watch his work in particular, that's what they're saying too. They go. Yeah, I really like this one time. I still like it. Yeah. It may not be the way that everyone else is doing it now, but I still like that. There's nothing wrong with it. Because I, I think there's something, like, especially in this age of, of remakes and reboots and stuff, yeah. that people could learn a lot from that. Of, like, like you go and watch the new, all the every Jurassic Park movie that's not the first Jurassic Park movie. Mm-hmm. They, they could have done way better with just doing an homage to the first Jurassic Park totally. rather than being like, we're going to make an action movie with dinosaurs in it. <laughs> exactly. <It's, laughs> so, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's the, I guess at that point, I suppose it becomes derivative and then 
there's not that actually much of interest anymore, right? You kind of go, like, I, I, I find that with a lot of films now. Like, when it get, I, I, I usually, my rule is, if it has a number in it, I'm not going to see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, it's you getting know, harder and harder, though. It gets harder. Like, yeah. Toy Story, to quote, you know, a classic Hollywood example, is probably the only one that breaks that rule for me. Yeah. Like, I can watch all three of those. I don't even care who's a number behind them. Yeah. I'm interested. Good story. The title says it all. Toy Story. Yeah. We're playing around, and this is a great story. Like, yeah. to me, I'm going, okay, whatever number it is, I don't care. So far. Yeah. The next one, Who knows? maybe not Toy so Story much. 4 could bomb it all. Exactly. And what are they, they is it three now? There's they've three done right three now. so yeah. far, and and they stood up. Yeah. But it's because they haven't, I think it's because they haven't tied themselves somehow, other than to the characters yeah. that they know we're going to love. Yeah. It's, uh, it's probably it's... a really shitty example, but it <laughs> came to mind because it's the only thing I've watched that's a sequel that I actually sat through and went, oh, I'm not bored and I'm not, I'm not like thinking, oh, the first one's way better. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think there is a, that, that's a, that's a pretty common thought. I, it's really hard for me. I'm a terrible critic of movies because I think I'm the target audience for every movie that's ever been made. Yeah. Like I sit down and they're like, this is the world you're in now. I'm like, perfect. And yeah. I'm there and I'm crying and I'm laughing and Go I'm with that world. Going, like oh, the whole, the whole time for basically every movie I see and I'll leave and someone will be like, that was terrible. Yeah. And here's the reasons. And I'll go, Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But like when I'm in the theater, I'm like, this is the best. I just, I, I get so absorbed in the world. How can you not, when you're in that theater, you actually are in that world. Yeah. It's hard. Like if you're bored in a movie theater, man, someone has really failed at their oh, job. Oh yeah. Yeah. Despicable Me too. I went to see because <laughs> the movie we really wanted to see was, it was full. And we were like, and I was like, this is a mistake. He's like, no, no, the first one was great. I hadn't seen the first one. Right. He fell asleep, and I sat there going, I have so many things I could be doing right now. And <laughs> oh, why... you weren't enraptured by the minions and their... I know, and what why, yeah. why we didn't walk out, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, too much respect for the people who worked on it, I yeah. think, because I was like, I could have just left that. Yeah. They would never know. Have you ever walked out on a movie? Uh, the only movie I walked out on was... Yes, I did. Uh, it was years ago. I went, my friend and I were new vegetarians, okay. and, and we went to see a movie. I'll never remember the name of it, but it was a, Randy Quaid was in it, and there was so much meat. Oh. Just, and they were doing such disgusting things with meat that I. she looked at me, she went, I don't think I can stay, and I went, I don't think I can either. I'll, like, the last image I remember seeing was, like, roll after roll of sausages coming out of a closet. Right, a closet. Yeah. Wow. I think it was a nightmare scene. Oh, okay. But there was so much meat in it. I honestly can't remember the name of the movie. We'll, we'll edit that in, too. I'll Google Randy. No, I'm not going to Google Randy Quaid meat. But... <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're I don't know. That, that nowadays, sounds dangerous. Yeah. Nowadays, That's you can too... get arrested for that. Yeah, for sure. The NSA would be on me in no yeah. time for that. But whatever it was. Uh, I was the, and it's the only movie I walked out of. Oh, really? Because I, I thought she was uncomfortable, and I thought, yeah, I don't really, this is not going anywhere that's going to be pleasant. Right. And we left. It was just, the movie did nothing. But we went to see everything in those days. And oh, we, yeah. We, you know, we were we were going to see every theater show we could see every night of the week when we were in. Because the theater school said, you're going to get as much education by watching good theater. Yeah. Uh, as you are in the classroom. So if you can, go see a show every night. Mm -hmm. And we did. We went. Pretty much every night. And then the nights we couldn't see a show, we were at the, the films. 3.50 Tuesdays in those days. Oh. I'm an old girl. 
So we usually go out for 350 Tuesdays to the theater and to the cinema. Wow. Both, in Toronto, they had both. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. play for 350 or you could see a movie. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like they still got some of that now. You can do the Toonie, uh, especially in, not so much here, but in Toronto, I think there's Toonie movies and a lot of Toonie Jesus. theaters that you can go to and just like I know, and why two the, bucks. I hope the theaters are packed. They should be. Yeah. Because... That's what an opportunity that it's is. Crazy. That's a crazy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the times it is like classic cinema that you yeah. go and watch, right? Like things <gasps> that, which is 100% better than what you're going to see when you pay $25 for an IMAX 3D experience. I know, it's so true. We have T- uh, TCM, Turner Classic, on our cable uh, package. And if ever in doubt, I just turned to that channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can, in fact, about three, four, no, I guess about six months ago now, I was co-producing Janina McGilvery's, or sorry, I was producing Janina McGilvery's short film, uh, her Michelle Jackson award-winning film, The mm-hmm. Tour, which I also was in. I always forget that I was in it because <laughs> I was very concentrated on producing it. Uh, but I did that film, and we were supposed to have a production meeting on, like, one Saturday, like, at 11 o'clock or something, and I sat down and I while I was waiting for the meeting to happen or whatever I turned on the TV and I saw that Sis Kane's coming on oh, yeah. at eleven and I texted him and said, I feel like you will understand this, but Citizen Kane is about to come on and I'm gonna have to watch it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I totally understand yeah. what channel is it on. Yeah, and she came over and the production was pushed two days. Yeah, and, yeah. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, I couldn't say that to anybody else. Right. But I saw and I thought, because I can't, I don't know where I'd rent it these days and it's so hard. And I was like, yeah. I had to watch that movie again. Right. It is so good. And I thought, this film will be better. If I watch Citizen Kane, it right. has nothing to do with the style of film we're making, but I will be better after watching that film again. Right. Yeah. So, and I thought only another filmmaker, <laughs> film lover could say, yes, no problem. What time will it be over? One? Yeah. Let's, let's meet at one instead. Right. And it was the first time I'd ever done that, but I, I saw it and went, I, I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah. I think the same thing would happen if Princess Bride came on TV. Oh yeah. I yeah. have to go, you know. I'm gonna have to watch that again. <laughs> yeah, there are so many. There are so many movies like that that you just you see them come on and and you're even. I, I find if I'm teetering with inspiration, I'll I'll go back and watch oh. some of my favorites just to sort of get me back. I know into that like working mood. Yeah, and sometimes watching stuff that you like, I've only ever seen the titles of some of the stuff that I watch on TV now, like on Turner Classic. Mm-hmm. And man, every time I go, wow, okay, like how come that's not like also something that's in the everyday vocabulary because it's yes. something amazing that they were doing at that time that you know is yeah extraordinary yeah it's pretty amazing well what do you so you think you aim to be too smart is that i think i aim to be smarter than i am i i i i, I got to a point in my life i think where as a young kid i um i just thought i was you know, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so ridiculous. I feel like as a kid, I was like, yeah, I'm smart. I, I have got a lot, whole lot more to learn. And then I got to, you know, I went, sought an education, and then I came back and I just started doing that thing. Right. You know, and yes, like I took, I've taken every workshop. I've taken workshops that at the end I go, I have no skills at the end of this. I know a bit more, but I right. have no skills that I'm going to put into practice. I know a little bit more about that thing, mm-hmm. you know, about how to compose music for film, but I'm not going to be composing right. yeah. music for my film. But I feel like that's actual, and that's legit 
smart. Like, I feel like a lot of people would say, like, I'm really smart. I don't need to do anything else. But you were like, I'm really smart. I have a lot to learn, which is what actual smart is. Yeah. Which, if you figured out right away, I feel like is what that's... Because, like, if if you were saying, I'm really smart, I can cruise, which is what I did through most of school. I was like, I don't have to... I know what teachers want. I'll just write the answers they want on these tests and... Well, I kind of did that, too. Right. But, like, in a way, that was was the way to get through it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I'm encouraged by your... By, by what you said, because I thought, yeah, like, I really feel like I haven't really learned that much. Like, I, I've, I've got bits and pieces of all kinds of different information that I'm not really sure if, like, they're not going to change the world. They're not, it's not going to change anyone's life, anything, anything I'm doing. Like, there are times when I, I, even when I see movies about amazing people, I go, wow, I, I'm really not changing anyone's life. Like, there, there does come a point, probably, in your almost 50s. Uh, that you start thinking about that stuff and you go, what have I really done to change someone else's life? Like, mm-hmm. I know what I've done in my own selfish self-interest right. to express <laughs> myself artistically. Yeah. But, like, what have I really done that helps someone else? Mm-hmm. You know, even on, like, on a community level, not even on a global level. Because I, I, I've never aspired to be that global player. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm much more, I'm much more community-minded person I mean I know that but I do often ask myself like what have I really done to make anything better or change anything right and I think that's that to me that's being smart yeah being able to recognize that and do something about it feels like a really smart thing so when I I feel like that is something to think about when you're when like working in entertainment and stuff as well I I think about that a lot in in comedy where it's like what am I really doing yeah am I am I doing anything is it worth should I be like, should I throw all this down and become a paramedic or something yeah. like that? Like, where I can really make yeah. a hands-on difference? Or, yeah, and yeah. when I've asked people that, like, I think I, I'm pretty sure that over the years, Mark Critch and I have talked about that, and I think I've we've kind of come to the conclusion that this is what I'm good at. Right. Like, I'm good at doing this, so I guess I just keep getting better at it. That's, mm-hmm. that's the only thing I know how to do. And you do kind of owe it to yourself to, to sort of do that as well. Yeah. And, and that's that sounds like a weird way. Like, don't help anybody else because you owe it to yourself to not help anybody. But, like... It, in a way, I feel like any of us who are working in entertainment have to raise ourselves to a certain level before you can start thinking about, like, how do I how do I now use what I've achieved to, to yeah. sort of left turn into something where I can use it for, for and, other people's benefit. And that's when you get to do it. You're totally right. It's like as soon as you get to a point where you can go, oh, someone's going to listen to me and someone's going to do this, someone else is going to do this thing, or I'm going to be able to rally these people together to do this one good thing. Mm-hmm. It's true. And and I know I do that on a small level, but that actually does make me feel better when right. I do those small level things. Yeah. I go, oh, okay, yeah, we're helping. Like me along with, you know, 200 other people are actually doing something good for the good of the community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, with film, I mean, you're creating lots of jobs. Like, if you're if you're a producer, then, you know, you're bringing somebody's... Or you're assisting bringing somebody's dream to life mm-hmm. uh, in a way. So, I mean, that that in itself is a, is a big... All of these people who are working on these sets, like, this is what they want to do. So, in that way, everybody is sort of helping each other help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I guess there is some comfort to be taken out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I feel a lot better. Perfect. That's I, what I'm here for. I, I feel smarter now. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess uh, I'll I'll try to ask this in like a in like a slightly better way. So the uh, with the movie that that you don't think could ever be made, rather than thinking of it in that way, if you had unlimited resources, mm-hmm. what would you make right now? 
oh, what I would make right now if I had the resources, and they wouldn't need to actually be unlimited, is a film that I wrote with Sherry White. We co-wrote it. Uh, we we wrote a play in 2001 called The Housewife. Okay. And at the time, our dreams were quite big. Like, we saw that, uh, that production, that story, on a much bigger scale than the theater production could ever achieve. Right. So we said, well... Let's, let's write a script. And she was just starting. I mean, Sherry's career has skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. She's like one of the most sought-after people in Canada. She's actually in L.A. working right now in Shondaland. So she and I uh, said, oh, let's okay, let's just write that script as a film script, see what comes of it. And we did, and we, we actually got it to, I think, second draft. And then our, you know, our projects and our lives took us in different uh, different directions so we did park that film even though it's complete right and we're both very happy with it and about two years ago she said i think you should take that film you should just make that film right and uh so that's the one i want to make the problem the reality at least it seems uh is that i'm i if i wanted to direct that i'm probably not going to be able to attract the kind of money it needs to be made at the moment right but if i won the lottery tomorrow uh, I'd make that. It's probably a five, six million dollar film, I would think. So it might have to be my second one. Right. Okay. Someone recently said, "Oh, rewrite that to do it for two fifty, two fifty thousand," and I'm like, "I, no. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> right. That's not that film. Yeah. It'll have to be something else. But um, but it did encourage me because they actually read it and went, "Yeah, that's that's really good." And I thought, okay, that's, that's so that film will get made. Right. It just won't be the first one. Most right. Likely. I, I like that. Like, this is really good, but make it for a fraction yeah. of that. Yeah. And make it, but still this good. Exactly. Yeah. And and friends of mine, actually, almost all the women that I know here who've made feature films have have had to make some kind of sacrifice mm-hmm. in terms of what the budget is yeah. in order to get their first film made. They go, okay, that should be $2 million. We got to make it for 900000 Right. And so they, you know, with good producers and good team, they figured out a way to make that happen. Yeah. So that's probably where I'm going to land to. Right. But if, but if I had the money to make it tomorrow, I'd make, that's the one I'd make tomorrow. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I, I like that you can kind of ballpark like, oh, this is a, this is a 5 million sort of thing. Like my, my brain has no idea. Yeah. Like well, I look that, at, the, the script that I have now and I'm, I'm going through and I, I'm trying to like cash things in by how many explosions are in it. Like I'm like looking at, cause my, 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 like I, I have an action comedy feature. Yeah. And so I'm looking at right there. I can tell you it's expensive. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking at that. I'm like, this could be a billion dollars. Like I yeah. can never, but it might not be. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. You can pretty like when, when you, when someone reads it with an eye to, uh, what things are going to cost, you can pretty quickly give it a good ballpark. Right. You know, like, and I think that's, that's the trick is to kind of go, oh, this here, yeah, that's a money shot, that's a money shot, mm-hmm. or that's a money scene. Yeah. But uh, it might not be as expensive as you think, actually. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've been working with, uh, uh, me and Ross Moore have been working together, he's been, yeah, and he's been putting on a producer hat for that kind of thing, and every time I hand him a script, he's like, stop rewriting this. Right. Because he, every time I rewrite it, it becomes more expensive. Oh. And he's like, stop it. Just stop. <laughs> just leave it alone. Just leave it right there. Don't touch it anymore. And it's it's fun. It's fun for me to have somebody just being like like hitting me with the newspaper every time like I had a, a scene in a car or something like that. He's like, no, that's a nightmare. Stop it. Right. Don't do that. But then you got to go, but you're, you're realizing your dream, right? So 
you got to go there first, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I always feel like you got to go there first, and then you can pull you back. You pull back, yeah. Yeah, like, what can we do? Yeah. Like, we can we turn over that car? No. Can we shoot the scene where they're upside down in the car? Yes. Yeah. Can we do that without seeing the scene go over? Yes or no will depend on whether that scene stays in your right. film or not. You yeah. Know? So there's always a way. And every time somebody hits me with the newspaper and says no, yeah. like that, that scene doesn't go in the garbage. It just goes on the board for later. Yeah, like it's like, I'll work that idea. into something else. I'll put it somewhere Definitely. else. Yeah. yeah, keep it on the board. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it is. It's it, like making a film is sometimes an exercise in compromise. You're, and not sometimes, I think it's always, no matter how much money you've got, at some point, the money runs out, the time runs out, mm-hmm. the people have to go away. Yeah. And and you do, and the same thing with every single process. Yeah. Pre-production, production, post-production. It, as Paul Pope said recently, all movies are edited until they are abandoned. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and wow. it's true. That's very profound. Because yeah. you get to a point where you go, I have to deliver this. I, it, I'm going to have to stop. Right. So... That, yeah, it is. It is for fans. Yeah. You go, yeah, that's what it is. Because if we kept them and tried to make them into perfection, yeah, that does take an unlimited amount of time. Oh yeah, and money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and nothing ever really gets there. So you're always, I think you're always got to be aware that you're watching an imperfect art, and it's that moment in time. Mm-hmm. If that scene was shot the day before or the day after, you would have had something completely different. Right. But that's the beauty of it in some ways is that unknowing. You try to control as many, I think you try to control as many factors as possible while acknowledging that that there are many things out of your control. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because I was always blown away when I had first been on sets and they were saying just, we're we're out of time, we're going to cut these three things. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to take them out? They're in the script. You can't Mm -hmm. take them out. They're like, no, we can. That's fine. That's all done. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And and that is, that really comes, those are just the choices you have to make. The creative choices where you go... Do we need that? No. My story can be told with this. Yeah. And that's probably all I'm going to need anyway, so why waste our time on that other footage that really is going to sit sit dormant, you know, yeah. in, in some bin and never be hauled out by the right. editor. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like directing my first time film, we, we only had a day to shoot, and so it ended up, there was just like, there was one sequence in it that they were like, we got to take this out. Mm-hmm. I was like, "How are you? What do you mean we have to take it out? Like it's it's there. It's it's, it's in the essential. movie. It's in the movie. And like the the movie is the way it is because of this." And they were like, "No, it has to go." And we sat down and we chopped it out and we changed a couple other things and then it was gone. Mm-hmm. And it's like it was it was never there to begin with. Yeah. And I was looking at it at the end and I was like, "Yeah, it's fine. It's gone and it's yeah, fine." Yeah. I don't even. And know I can't it. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's true. I I I discovered that when we shot a web series that I co-created and I directed uh, during Dark and L when all the lights were oh, yeah. here with Matt Wright and, uh, and Luke Lawrence and Brad Gover was the producer of that and yeah we lost the lights we were on our last episode and we called and said okay like is this a rolling blackout because the lights were out and we shot through that but this why are the lights out again and they went oh the tower just or blew up or blew up. station yeah. substation <laughs> just blew up out in Hillary and we went oh that's going to be a wrap yeah and I said oh, how like we just shot half this episode and Brad goes okay let's just think this through and we thought it through and went yeah it's going to be 90 seconds instead of three minutes but really we have a story here yeah we got a story yeah yeah we don't have all the little extras that we wanted to plant into it 
but we had it. Yeah. And so we said, yeah, we can go with this. Right. And it actually worked it fine. Yeah. That episode was 90 seconds yeah. long, <laughs> but it was short, catchy. It, it it's the beauty, off. beauty of web. Yeah. Look, I look at it and I go, that's the best one of the bunch. Really? Yeah. yeah. And I go, and it's because we were forced to compress that story to its basic element. <laughs> like we didn't have much to go on, but it totally worked. You need to like put a little thank you to Newfoundland Power Thanks or something at the power end. power for, you know, whatever happened to cause that sub- substation to go black that night. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and like, that's what happens. The accidents happen, unexpected things come up, and you deal with them and you make make the best of it. Right. And sometimes they improve your story. Yeah, absolutely. If we chat all three minutes, probably wouldn't have been any good at all. Yeah. So... Anyway, that was that was that was the perfect example there of like losing stuff and going, yeah. we don't need it. Well, and there's no there's no producer that's going to have a contingency plan for what if something blows up in Holyrood and all of our exactly. lights go out. That's no an insane thing to be thinking about yeah. at the beginning. So. No amount of planning could have could have gotten us through that. Yeah. Yeah, we never would have thought of that possibility. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I feel like I feel like we're pretty we're pretty wrapped up there. We got some some good ideas out. Excellent. So yeah, okay, thank good. you so much for coming on and doing this. Oh my God, no problem. Thanks for coming to me. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Well, anyway. awesome. So yeah, uh, thank you for for uh, for doing this. Thank you all of you who are listening. Um, so check out. I, I guess is there anything you wanna you wanna plug for people? I'm for oh, sure people will be looking at so Hunting Pignut when that's out. Yeah, watch for Hunting Pignut next year on the festival circuit for sure. Written and directed by Martine Blue. Um, yeah, it'll be a great little film to watch. Awesome. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you. And good luck with your podcast. I'm sure it'll be very popular. I, I'm glad you're sure. Yeah. Or would you rather be a fish? Okay, so thank you for listening today. Uh, thanks again for to Ruth for coming out. Uh, check out White Rooster Productions to see everything that Ruth is working on. Um, it's really amazing. She's a, a real inspiration for artists everywhere in this city. A huge help to the scene in general. Uh, tune in next time. We're going to be talking to Ross Moore, uh, who's uh, also a local producer. He's a writer, director. He does everything. He works for Celtics, the uh, screenwriting software. So that'll be uh, that'll be a great chat to have. So tune in in I guess two weeks, and <laughs> we'll see you then. Goodbye. So you see, it's all up to you. You can be better than you are. You could be swinging on a star.